So my first question to you is, do you know where you are? Yes. Where are we? Specifically or broadly? <laughs> where are we to you? We're on Jajarung land, mm-hmm. Jara country, mm-hmm. and we are at the Res. Yes. Um, yeah, which is in Tutin, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Saltgrass, and this is a conversation I had with Dan Coop as part of an art project called Here Here, H-E-A-R-H-E-R-E, which was featured earlier this year in the Castlemaine State Festival. Dan and his creative partner, Daniel Constance, have worked closely with Punctum, a Castlemaine live arts organisation, to create this project for the State Festival. So behind me is Forest Creek. And if you follow the flow of Forest Creek to the south, you'll go past the diggings, the monster mat meeting, uh, you'll take a turn through Chewton Wesley Hill and you will go past Castlemaine. Around there it'll join the Loddon River and take a sharp turn to the north. But if we started from here and followed the creek to the north, we'd go up past the res and we'd kind of find an origin point just near Lianganook. So I do want to say this is Jara country. Mm. It always has been and it always will be. That site is a site of great knowledge and um, it holds culture. But if we look at it today as well, we also see that there's radio towers off the top of it. Sometimes you see them poking through the clouds. And this is a radio project, but it is about all these things that we've just discussed. Mm. I'd been emailing back and forth with Dan and Danielle about getting an interview about this artwork of theirs. And for several reasons, largely COVID-related and various statewide lockdowns, we were not able to get an interview set up before the state festival. However, this meant that I was able to go along to their event and participate while the festival was on and before we had a longer chat about what the work was all about. So that's what we're listening to now. People who booked in would arrive at a specified starting point at the Expedition Pass Reservoir, better known to locals as the Res. And there was Dan, standing under a marquee, surrounded by a collection of small, bright green, wind-up radios. This conversation is one he had with many, many people at the starting point of this project. It's specifically a listening project. So we've sat down here and talked to people who know much more about this place than we do. And we've asked them about what they see. The way that you hear those conversations is that you take a radio and you tune in. And it's only very small transmissions, not like the ones on the top of Lianganook. So you have to get very close and you have to position your body and it's really an act of conscious listening and tuning out all the other stations. They're pretty much preset, but this is the voice that you're looking for as you approach the first station. So changed creek. The, the direction and the flow of the creek and stuff. So I'm right near a transmitter, but you'll see if I move, Tuned out. So within like two metres? It'll tune back in. So So that's yours. That's your volume. That's the main thing that you'll have to deal with. You might do a little tweak on the uh, tuning, but really just focus on that volume. Sure. If you do need a bit more power, just give it a little hand crank. I love that. We know radio is an essential emergency service out here in the bush, so just to be safe. Right. You'll need a map, of course. Yep. So we start here. Yep. You go up the path and take a little turn off to be under this gum tree here. 
conversation will go for around 10 minutes. So it is on a loop, so you, you might come in halfway, you might come in at the start, but if you feel like you're getting back to the start where you began, off you go. Here's another conversation here. Here's another conversation here at the top of the dam wall. And then the last one, if you go over, just watch your step as you cross over the creek, but under Pine Tree Point. So I encourage you to just um, take a listen now. That's what we can hear now, and that's what you might be tuning into, but uh, as you go off on your way, you might tune into some other voices and other ideas as well, so um, let me know if you need any help. Great. Thanks. And so I did. I wandered up the path as directed, as you can now hear. I have to say, the project was one of my favourite experiences at the festival this year. It was located at one of my favourite places in central Victoria, where I've spent many a warm afternoon walking, swimming, sitting and having picnics with friends. In summer, you will often run into people you know and have big chats spontaneously under the trees and by the water. With a little green radio in hand, I wandered gently up familiar and well-worn paths, the map and little green flags helping me find the four different stopping points. The radio giving white noise in between locations, which slowly transformed into voices talking about this very place as you approached the right spot. seasons of this country because you know if we look at the western calendar we're shifting seasons we know it's going to shift in the next couple of weeks and month but is there really four seasons here or is there is it more complicated than that no there's, it's more complicated a little bit more complicated than that there's six seasons in the in the Coolin calendar and we're part of the Coolin or, or the west Coolin um, language speaking groups they're called now um, that was Uncle Rick Nelson being interviewed by Dan. The interviews were recorded exactly where you would stand to listen. Each one offered a different perspective on a place I knew so well. And I think that was part of the magic. Questions were artfully guiding the conversation to share an understanding and give an insight into perception, worldview, and how important natural spaces are to each of the subjects of the interview. And it made you reflect on what that place also meant to you. Saltgrass and this iteration of Here Here were recorded and produced on Jara Country, home of the Jajarung. Sovereignty was never ceded. Salt, salt, of the earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green at saltgrasspodcast.com. So when Dan, Danielle and I were finally able to actually get together, it was near the end of the Castlemaine State Festival. Fittingly, we jumped into a boat at the res and recorded this interview that you're about to hear as we slowly moved across it. Dan was manoeuvring the boat with the oars and Danielle and I sat up the front. You can see photos of this on the Saltgrass socials, Facebook and Instagram, and the Saltgrass website, saltgrasspodcast.com. I also recently sent out my first e-news 
with a little bit of the story behind this interview. So if you want to hear about what happens behind the scenes here at Saltgrass, then jump over to the website saltgrasspodcast.com and sign up to the newsletter. So in this episode, you will hear the sounds of Dan paddling the boat. You'll also hear some beautiful bird sound and a little bit of wind. We did our best to manoeuvre the boat to avoid the breeze, but you will hear a little bit of wind sound every now and then. And just for fun, here is the sound of the boat being blown up with a foot pump. So, Danielle, I'm interested in you particularly because I've studied art therapy and I see that you have an art therapy background. And I'm wondering how much that background and training has maybe impacted how you work as an artist now and if that informs projects like here here great it's always exciting to meet somebody else who's interested in art therapy it's a pretty niche and small little community yeah Yeah, look I think it does I think it's always informing the projects that I'm working on and the work that I do maybe not always directly but I think indirectly in a sense of how I guess the training that I did was really kind of specific in thinking about you know relational being so it's really about how we are in relation to one another and I suppose this project in particular it is about that it's also about how we're in relation to place and so perhaps not just the relationships between humans but you know the relationship to to the ecology that we're a part of so I always think art therapy brings me back to it's very much about relationship building and listening and always coming from a place of curiosity and trying not to make assumptions with people. So I think those are the kinds of things that I always try and take into my work with varying degrees of success. But I think particularly in this project, that's probably the the clearest links. Yeah. And, you know, you can always talk about art projects as having restorative or cathartic qualities and things like that. And again, that's not really a direct thing that we were going for with here here, but I think there's definitely layers of that and underneath, you know, really... The work is about kind of sitting and listening, learning and unlearning. And I think for me, it, it is it is quite restoring, even just making the work, being able to come and sit out in a place like this and learn more about it. Yeah, it's incredibly restorative. Absolutely. And we'll get to you, Dan, in a second, but I'll just go with the flow of what we're talking about now. So, I mean, as a sustainability and environment show, I'm particularly interested in this art project in that it is connecting people and helping us understand the very different relationships different people can have to the same place. What are you trying to achieve with participants but also people experiencing it once you've built it? I think it came from wanting to have a deeper understanding and connection to the places that we live in and and through that also having a deeper understanding of the impact of the places that we live in and actually the places that we share with you know all of the things that inhabit these spaces so it's just I guess in a way trying to de-center the human experience I mean we're still very much you know the work is about stories and people and that's how we're learning but through that hopefully we're learning about some of the other things that are in these places like the animals the plants the culture that's what I think we're we're just trying to understand that more and more through these different layers of stories and then and through the sensory experience I think of being in the place and trying to tune out some of the things that that we generally fill our lives day-to-day lives with and tuning in you know more listening bringing our attention and focus to things that are here in the present. I'll add as an artist yeah it's about the places we live our lives so that's more general but as an artist as my job I like to do things that 
are exciting and fun and pleasurable. You know, I'm not really in the art should be hard and difficult style of art. I think it should be pleasurable, invigorating and, and really kind of fuel your life. And culture, in a broader sense, is how I learn about the world. I don't necessarily get all of my news from the newspaper or the television. I get my news from talking to people, from looking at visual art, listening to the radio. Heaps love the radio. But, you know, that's what's kind of taught me about the world, whether that be different places that I've gone to on tour or had the privilege to work, but also empathy for people who live different lives to me and have different life experiences. So that really informs my perspective on the world culture and being my own boss, get to choose where I work. And so we try and work in some beautiful places that have got beautiful things to say. So in that sense, it is enlivening and affirming, hopefully, in a world that's not always that. You know, so this is a style of project that is trying to affirm some good things, actually. Not, not shying away from the negative, but trying to kind of say we do have some beautiful things close to home, which is a pretty important message if we go through lockdowns, as I did last year. If, you know, we feel like we've lost a lot, I kind of made an active choice to think a bit about what we gained last year, actually, as well. I live in Wurundjeri country near the Merry Creek. So my 5K circle wasn't large, but I spent hours on the Merry Creek every day and just actually saw the life cycle of some tawny frogmouths as an example. Saw that the birds are there, which is kind of, first of all, like, oh my gosh, there it is sitting on the tree and I've walked past that how many millions of times? And then all of a sudden I saw their nests get filled with eggs and little bubs. And then to see the little ones kind of grow up and leave the nest, that's, that's like life goes on. Yeah. Sure, some of my work was cancelled. Sure, some of our people were, were in weird circumstances, but actually there's a whole natural world that was just doing just fine and actually getting a good break actually because of our break which was maybe really something we need to do more of in general you know proactively rather than kind of reactively yeah yeah one of the things that has come up quite a few times in my show because I I started this show just before COVID hit Mm. and then had to like change all my plans but Mm. I was able to still do the program because I could do phone interviews yeah great through the lockdowns and things like that but experiences like this have been completely absent which I was really looking forward to Mm. and do make the process so much more enjoyable but what so many people have reflected on through the time of COVID is what we can learn from that experience that can inform how we can anticipate the changes that climate change might bring. I don't know if you guys want to reflect on that. I'd love to say for the record obviously COVID is serious it's disrupted everything and let's hope changes come because if we come out of this and we go back to the same thing big problems whether we're talking economically, in terms of equality and inequality really, if we're talking about, yes, the environment. But let's just remember this time last year, we're actually reeling from the bushfire crisis. Sure, we've had a bit more rain this year and we get a little reprieve. And floods instead. And and floods instead and mouse plagues instead. But I still, for the record, think that the environmental crisis is the number one singular crisis we face. COVID is just a little distraction. Hopefully it teaches us some lessons that we can use, but I think it's a blip compared to the deal that we've got with climate change. And so this project here, here that you've done, how is that, do you think, connected to the climate change and and getting people to maybe think about their environment differently? I felt like you just nailed it by saying, you know, we are aiming to to have our audiences consider yeah our relationship with our environment and and our impact on it i think we're trying to do that in a gentle kind of subtle way and like dan was saying before it is also about having an enjoyable experience having a pleasurable experience it doesn't need to be all of the doom and gloom like we get a lot of that and fair enough i feel like it's the reality 
but often I don't think we're really kind of motivated to make changes from that viewpoint and unless we're kind of really in a fight or flight situation then it's like right you know okay we're gonna have to make a decision but while we're still in a position where we're complacent about it and that that's still relatively like the majority that that's seen as okay to keep continue in that way I think it's quite difficult to really drive that change. So I see this project as absolutely looking into those issues, but yeah, sometimes in a more indirect way. And it's more about hearing from people who are local community members, who are just incredible volunteers, who invest so much of their time and effort and energy into whatever the local project might be you know but it might be about replanting and regenerative natives in a region or putting what were they like boxes for the brush tail fasca gale that mari one of our guests for here here was talking about or it could be a behavioral ecologist who you know can really talk to us about the changes of landscape and how that's impacted a particular species or an expert on water and talking about how the way that we've changed and manipulated waterways over time and and the effects that we're that we're really starting to see with that and for us it's expertise comes in many forms there are people who have really long careers and they've absolutely become leaders in their field and they might have done phds and you know world leading and eminent that's great and then there's the experts who have lived in a place for 20 years or longer and know every blade of grass and just have walked every step of the trail and their experience of a yearly cycle is amazing, but then their experience of much bigger kind of things is also relevant. And I'm saying this was a drought year, that was a flood decade. And that knowledge is just as important, even if it doesn't have a PhD, even if it's not your actual profession, yeah. it might be your hobby or your contribution to community. Uh, and you're just as much an expert. So everyday experts are the things that we're really looking for, the people we're really looking to celebrate their knowledge, not just always the experts' experts. And what are you hoping that people who come to have a listen and a wander through, what are you hoping that they experience? I think a lot of people love the res here. It's well known in the community. So we don't need to help anyone discover. And, and actually their experience is completely valid. So there's, as outsiders, it's not our job to come in and educate people. But it is our job or our great position to be curious, to maybe ask some really obvious questions that maybe people have stopped asking, or maybe then delve into some tricky things because we actually are naive to the politics of the place or the history, who owns this place, and I'm waving my air quotes. And so as visitors, we can open up other layers and and the structure of the work then allows these ripples of, of knowledge to overlap. It's about holding a few things simultaneously in your mind and them all being true. You can talk and hear about First Nations history and culture and ritual that's still going on. But then you can also hear about someone who swims here and has their own rituals with their family, which to me only goes to emphasise that we all have a spiritual connection to country, actually. Maybe we just need to develop better language and better acknowledgement of that in various ways. I love that you put Uncle Rick first as well as the first stop because as soon as I heard the voice I was like Uncle Rick <laughs> how nice he's so beloved around here and and well known and he does so much good work to try and bridge that gap between the indigenous worldview and and the rest of us <laughs> but the swimmer who is sort of like further across the way and under the big tree where a lot of people do launch into the water from there it's a favorite spot to sit I loved that she had a whole story about ritual that she'd created with her family 
I thought that was beautiful. And one of the main reasons I come to the res is as a swimmer. And so to hear her story, it was really nice. So because when we did those interviews, we had them scheduled just before the five-day lockdown in Victoria. So I actually wasn't present for that interview. Dan did the interview with the swimmer. But I had a really special moment here in the couple of days that we did have where we came out and met some swimmers at 6 a.m. for an early morning swim. And I was quite nervous. I come from Queensland, so I'm used to really warm water and I'm also used to salt water. But I'm also not the most confident swimmer. So I think most of my nerves were kind of coming for that of going, oh, I don't know how far out I can swim into the res before I get super anxious and panic you know panic sets in and then I feel like I've got to get my feet on the ground but it was a really positive experience for me coming out here and meeting some locals and hearing about just how much this place is used as this regular swimming spot and it's you know it's all of these layers it's a spiritual connection it's it's a social connection for a lot of people and so when I went home I started swimming. I was like, right, okay, this is it. This is something I've thought about for a while. And if I don't feel confident, then I need to practice. So my partner and I have been going to our local pool just to get better at swimming laps. So then we can try and do some ocean swims, which has been really amazing. And it really solidified that for me when we were going back through and editing the stories and the interviews and hearing the swimmer talk about teaching herself to swim at the res. It was just a really poignant moment for me, I guess, in where I'm at and making that connection. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your life in terms of age or geography. Like I didn't need to do it here at the res, but I went home and did it in my backyard. And yeah, it just felt really like a really strong connection. The inspiring concept for me is how this person comes every day, does effectively the same thing. It's, it's a habit, it's a daily practice, it's a ritual. Just how that is their opportunity to center them and to have something solid in their life. If I look back at lockdown, I'm an artist. I usually tour or I go to shows every night or I run around and connect with my community. And I, I was a bit kind of confused for a while. How do I be an artist? And then I remembered actually, well, my daily practice is going to the Merry Creek. My daily practice is going for a walk actually, or a jog. Gosh, I'd love it if it was a swim, but that's me reacting to my local landscape that's really close to home. And so, yeah, we happen to be talking about water. I, I happen to be obsessed with water. So I've got other projects that happen at a beach, on a river. But it reminded me that, yeah, my daily practice is actually so important for my creativity, even if it doesn't feel like it's putting pen to paper, writing script, organising anything. It's actually the, the absence of doing anything that is really crucial to my worldview and to my psychology and my happiness the way we look for people is we firstly just get to know a place ourselves and we do a bit of an analysis if you could get so clever we, we spend time in a place and so spending time here obviously swimming is amazing spending time here walking is amazing spending time here the birds are amazing of which I've become a bit of a bird nerd myself and so you start to just get a few hints about what's special here that's worth talking about and then we try and kind of map it out so that there is a bit of a social element, there is a bit of an ecological element, maybe there's science involved or maybe there's just culture involved. And so once we've done all that kind of mapping, if you will, we just try and find out who's already here. It's all well and good as an artist to kind of get people to descend upon a place. But I think this work is actually for the people who already come here. And if a few people get to know the place through it, then that's amazing. But that's actually not our primary audience. And so if we think about the people who are already here, often we go to community groups. So first we went to Connecting Country and through them 
met Mari at Golden Point Landcare. And Mari happens to be pretty local. So when she came down here to meet us and figure out if she wanted to get involved, there was a very polite but clear kind of, who are you? What are you trying to do in my backyard? We hit it off immediately and she's lovely. So she was like, great, I see you're celebrating the place. It was all good. But even through that, then there's a bit of a chain letter that happens. I met, met our swimmer through Mari. But being a bird nerd, I was just kind of, you know, typing Castlemaine birds. I came to Birdlife Castlemaine, who are an amazing community group who just love birds and celebrating them, organise a few bird walks and things like that. So I went on a bird walk with them, uh, learnt how to use binoculars for the first time, never used them, now have a pair in the car, which I'm very excited to use around here. Damien Kelly has written a book called uh, Bird Walks of Castlemaine. And in a way, it's a very humble book because it's self-published, but there's about quick guess 40 walks in that book Damien has taken all the photography and they're incredible photos of birds and now watching birds a bit closer myself I know how hard it is to get some of those birds because they move quick yeah those little ones like the wrens and <laughs> the spotted partalote yeah. and I'm watching all the grey fantails around they are just zippy so if you can get one of them as a beautiful clear shot with no blur you've actually done an amazing piece of work just to capture that little moment yeah so Damien's knowledge is extensive and he's been into birds his whole life. You know, if we're looking at where we are and who knows about this place, you've got to go or on Jara country. Let's talk to some people from the Jarjawaran community. And so we, we had a chat to a few different people through Naldoran, through Murnyong Mummers, and eventually got in touch with Uncle Rick and Uncle Rick was gracious and generous and passionate about his culture and happy to share. And that was wonderful to sit down with him for now. How do you decide what to keep in and what to leave out? If you've recorded an hour of conversation with Uncle Rick, surely you just want to use it all. Yeah, yeah. It, would, it would be ace. <laughs> it would be ace to have all the time in the world. But oh, look, this is a creative question now, I think, actually. And the creative question is how, how much impact can you get when you have people's attention? And uh, even though this is an outdoor piece and there's no curtain and no foyer, Danielle and I basically come from the tradition of theatre. And I think we kind of think like that. We think in terms of dramaturgy and constructing a, a kind of cogent argument over an hour or two. And actually, you know, not every moment in a play needs to speak to every other moment in the play. It just needs to do its job in the, in the flow of the storytelling. And so, yes, you could get an absolute show out of Uncle Rick himself. I mean, there's, who's writing the book? You tell me, who's writing the book about Uncle Rick? because that's worthy of its own attention. But in sharing perspectives and sharing that there's no singular perspective around this place, you just have to kind of let every little person have their unique bit, put them end to end, and you note that, well, Damien's talking about birds, but actually Marion mentions the birds too. But actually Rick mentions the birds too. But actually our swimmer mentions the birds too. But they just need to have those little chimes along the way rather than just solely be about birds. So there's, there's too much, yeah, you're right. In, in any in interview, there's too much. In this location, there's too much. So it's our job to focus and tune in. And from a practical point of view, I guess, you know, we, we cut it down and do like a first draft edit, which Dan's much better at, at doing this than I am in terms of length of time my first draft still kind of sits at like 18 16 18 minutes Dan's getting them down to 12 somehow he's ruthless in a good way but yeah so we cut it down do a first draft and then we share them listen back and and also I think it's important like Dan's saying is to listen to all 
all of the interviews are not necessarily side by side but in relation to one another as well and find those bits where that layering you know of the birds for example is a really important addition and times where we maybe think there's a bit of a gap or what's missing and then go back in and and, and find that in one of the interviews and, and make sure it's there so there's yeah there's a process of kind of editing down occasionally adding a few bits back in and then yeah process of drafts and and then I think it's really important we come back out on site and listen to it here as well and and similarly do it a similar process you know what's jumping out what's missing where are the gaps yeah what's working really well I'm just going to interrupt my chat with Dan and Danielle and give you some samples of the interviews they collected for this project, just so that you get a sense of the people that we're talking about as we explain it. With reference to the exact spot that we are and the geographical features, the trees, the birds, the animals, I wonder, can you just describe to us what you can see around us right here? Well, I see... I see um, uh, a torn up country. Um, you know, it, it looks, well, it doesn't look that pretty really. It's bushland and, and stuff, but it's all regrowth. Um, this was heavily mined um, and extremely um, wooded, you might say. They, they cut down nearly every tree. Um, I've seen photos of, of around Castlemaine. There's not a tree anywhere in the background as far as the eye can see, almost. Um, so, you know, this is what we call upside-down country because for, from the gold, it's all been turned upside down um, and mined and, and dug. And, yeah, I, I see a, a struggling country, um, struggling to survive and reproduce. Well, with um, Golden Point Lang here, it was a matter of looking at the landscape and reading it to know how to manage better and not come in all excited about planting stuff. And I worked with Doug Ralph, who was an environmentalist in this area for many years, and he always said, Murray, just sit back and have a cup of tea and watch and see what happens, and then you work out how you can help, not how you can change. Can you tell us who you are? and what connects you to this place? Okay, well, I'm just Damien Kelly. I'm um, fanatical about birds. I just, since a young age, I've always been fascinated by them. Whenever I can, I get out and about. And this is one ideal spot, really, because especially where we're sitting, we've got views over the trees or into the trees, and we've got views over the water. And I've also got the wide sweep of sky and you can see birds up there too at times. So it's a great spot as far as I'm concerned. So when I started swimming here, I'd sometimes go a bit far and I'd be panicked coming back, worried that I'd ever, ever make it. I think about the exhilaration I feel, the euphoria when I come out. And I think a lot of it's got to do with facing fear. Every time I go in, there's still a little bit of me that's a little bit scared.
That was a little compilation of the interviews with Uncle Rick Nelson, Marie Jones, Damien Kelly and The Swimmer. These are the four people that Dan and Danielle interviewed and as you walked around the res following their map you could sit and listen to the full interviews as part of their sound art project here here so as a person who walked through and experienced it it was really beautiful to wander these paths that i know really well and then sit down and listen to uncle rick or marie from Lancare and and then listen for a bit and then get up and wander and it takes a few minutes to get to the next spot and you're seeing this place that you love so well you're sort of thinking about what that last person said it sort of has time to sink in before you get to the next spot and you sit down and there might already be some people there listening to it or you might be on your own and you see these people sitting in these spots around the res and it's just so reflective and they're sitting there so quietly listening and just sort of thinking it's a beautiful thing to see and also experience I think it is about the bits in between the bits yeah. and unlike theatre we're not trying to have your um, exclusive attention in fact we're trying to help you tune into things so your attention shouldn't be on us like a magician doing things all the time your attention should be on the site and the let's call it scenic design around us the immersive environment that we didn't have a hand in making but has kind of come together and and it is very theatrical and very sublime and poetic it's all the things mm. so we the less we do in some cases the better so one of the things you do at the start of the walk when people arrive is you give them their little radio that they wander around with and you explain the process and give them a map but you also ask them you know where are you and in each interview you ask the person you were interviewing what do you see when you look out and each one of them had a really different answer. I want to ask you guys that, but I want to ask you, what did you see when you first arrived here? And what do you see now that you've done this project? Well, really, I've only been here twice to Castlemaine and it's for this project. So I'm very, very much a blow-in. I'm really a visitor to this place. So coming here, I had, you know, read a few things, chatted to a few people, spoken with Dan a lot. And we had a bit of a break in between, you know, we were originally meant to be doing a lot of this work in February last year. And of course that got kind of paused. But I also tried to come here without too many, I guess, kind of preconceptions. I think it's hard to not, like the first experience to not be about just the immense beauty of the landscape. Like coming to the res and just seeing this beautiful body of water and and the trees and the bird life. And, and it's a really different landscape to what I'm from in, in Queensland. So it's a real change. And particularly, it was the first time I had gotten on a plane for over a year and the first place I'd really visited outside of my yeah, local geography. So I'm sure that had a hand in how I was viewing this place and experiencing it as well. But I think after time and as things kind of permeate, then you start to look and read and experience the landscape a little bit differently. So this project always for me reveals new layers over time of understanding a place. And that's what I love about it so much. So I feel like, you know, the process that our audience go through, we go through that ourselves as well in, in making the work. And, and I feel like I just have so much more to learn but definitely feel like I'll be coming back here. It's, it's like a really special place, an incredible community, really welcoming and generous and such a rich landscape and so much history and culture here that, yeah, it feels like such a joy and absolute privilege to be able to learn about. 
Yeah, to tell you about how I first experienced the res, I kind of need to tell you about why I came to Castlemaine ever. The first instance, it was Punctum, who are a live arts organisation here in Castlemaine, and they work out of the old hospital. And they've got this amazing process of supporting artists to make new work and supporting them to take experimental risk. It's amazing stuff. They are our hosts here. So after going to a lot of their showings and knowing artists who've come to Castlemaine, it's kind of a famous place in my scene in Melbourne of like, oh, you're doing a residence in Castlemaine, you must be with Punctum. So finally kind of got one organised and felt like I'd had a real good win. But that's only because I'd been to Castlemaine because of Punctum, got to know the work that they make, got to know the Castlemaine State Festival, and this show also ends up in that. And I have friends who have worked on that. Again, it's a famous uh, festival in my world with great people working on it. So for me, Castlemaine's always been a place of culture. That's how I know it. A place of culture, great food, uh, the good life. And so I come here, go and see some shows. If it's summer, I'll come here and go for a swim and I'm hanging out with mates. And so for me, it's all about just like living the good life. So when I come to the Rares, I always feel happy because it's just connected with all of that kind of good life. And it means I've taken some time out of my life in the city and I've seen some great art. So yeah, when I come here, that's what I bring. And then I get out and I just love water. And water for me, is just a huge kind of poetic influence, I guess, in my life. And it's something that I've made a lot of work about. So I've actually then also read and feel knowledgeable about water in an interesting way. So yeah, it's just fascinating to me that it is so beautiful. But the more you get to know, you know that the land's been turned over. The land has been washed away. So this is not nature. This is not wilderness. It's a man-made dam, but Aren't we lucky to be able to use it as a kind of social resource, as a kind of physical resource, as a, a place that we can actually learn about the birds? I mean, I'm looking right now to my right. I'm on the water in a boat and I can see these beautiful reeds. I can see a swamp hen. I know that these hills behind me, like down in the whale's tail, have golden whistlers in them. And we've seen kookaburras and fairy wrens and so yeah it may not be pristine but it is still a beautiful example of country and I'm getting all those stories out of it now that I have knowledge. A lot of things have stayed with me but I think one in particular just hearing Dan talk around the tension between what we call our natural spaces or natural environments and urban spaces and how less and less those things are separate or distinct we're we're blurring and merging them all the time and that human hands have kind of intervened in in so many places and there's something that Damien Kelly says in our interview with him that really speaks to that tension between the human made dam and this this place wouldn't it wouldn't be or look like this at all if it wasn't for the dam so the way it came about that we're here in in the res here in Castlemaine is we did the project first in Brisbane on the Inogro Reservoir. That kind of proved we've got a project. Then we did the project even through lockdown because Queensland was all right at Hodder on the Gold Coast on the Narang River. But, you know, I'm a Victorian, so I wanted to do some work down here, know the res really well as a swimming hole. So, yeah, just tried to get the coalition of support. And Jude Anderson at Punctum was fantastic support. Having told her about the project, she was interested in it. And interested enough to interrogate me about it. <laughs> she didn't just say, that's great, you go and do what you want. She talked to me for an hour or two, and then over months via email, 
really clarifying the project and she's an incredible mind like that so so great because it's not like she doesn't understand the project she understands it so well that she can see where there's room for growth where there's questions being unasked and the thing that Jude kept pressing me to get on board with was she was saying I understand what you're doing as artists what your process is but are you considering what the effect is for the audience and what the goal is in terms of communicating with them and sharing with them and the thing she kept on asking was if you're going to work site specifically here and with this community I think you need to think deeply about what the situation is here and so that conversation would have started pre-bushfire summer but as we go through that summer of crisis and I know that we're supposed to be working here in March 2020, the situation became very clear, is that this is dry country. That we haven't had any significant bushfires just here in that big summer, but there's every possibility that that could happen. And curiously, we're working with radio, and I know for a fact that if bushfires come and knock out a, a mobile phone tower, that's no good. If the power goes out, your NBN's not gonna work, no telephone, you're done. So AM radio is actually this incredible emergency resource. It's fundamental infrastructure for our country, but probably in the bush specifically. And so the situation really became about kind of survival and getting through crisis and being a self-sustaining community that supports each other. So the situation here is a question we ask everybody now, what's the situation here? And it's a funny question because you don't really get asked that because it's, it, it's at once it's a very specific zoom-in question, but it's also a very broad zoom-out question. And so you get lots of different answers and Jude, Jude really brought that to this project and helped us shape what it is and, and that's content. Mm. But then she was really amazing at supporting us to figure out what the offer to the audience is. And the offer really is to, is to walk and to tune in and tune out some other things as well. And she really helped us frame that as well. It's a walking experience. And so the question then that came out of that was we asked everybody, how do you walk this place? Or in one case, how do you swim this place? <laughs> Uncle Rick walks this place in a very certain way. Damien Kelly as a bird watcher walks in a very certain way with his binoculars and listening for things before stopping and then looking. Mari didn't so much talk about walking this place, she talked about reading this place, reading the landscape and finding out what it needs. And of course our swimmer swims this place in a very particular way, sometimes with a wetsuit on, sometimes with nothing at all on. <laughs> and isn't that kind of fun to have that kind of variety of, of moving through this landscape yeah. and waterscape. Will you guys be continuing here here in other here's? <laughs> are there other here's that are going to hear here? We hope so. It's definitely the plan. We've got an application to get our brains stuck into over the next couple of days. We're always on the lookout for locations that we want to work in or where we think this project would be a particularly good fit. I think dams are pretty interesting spaces for us to work in with this project because it's such an accessible way to begin a conversation about how our landscapes are managed and the effects on that as well as them often being really great and well-loved recreational spaces. We've also talked a bit about the kind of legacy of this project and beginning to build a bit of a library or catalogue of these places and the stories. But I guess the quick answer is we don't have a place set ready to go, but we're always thinking about it. We're always kind of like concocting plans and... <laughs> 
you know, quick text messages, phone calls. Hey, what do you what do you think about this? I just went here. Or I just read about this. I've got a bit of a formula for what I think makes an ideal spot for this project though. Water, because I'm personally obsessed, but because water is fundamental to connecting people. A river can run north-south and connect people, but it also is essential for life and that's kind of why in colonial times all the sheep came, they needed water. They were also the places that the kangaroos would, would drink. It's also where humans, of course, would need to live. And that's so, it, the water always brings people together and brings ecologies together. And it's where things overlap. And so that overlap is part of the poetics that I really like. So water's good. But then a place that offers multiple perspectives. So quite literally here, you can be at the beach by the car park and you get one view of the, the res and it looks like it's a certain shape. But then you go to Pine Tree Point and the res has a different shape, it's a different perspective. And we use that trick of perspective very deliberately to locate conversations so that people are talking about the same thing, but from different angles. And of course, the same thing is not the same thing to everybody. There's also, I just feel like we haven't mentioned it, but there's a, a clear poetic for us as well around kind of water waves and overlapping of then sound waves and radio waves as well that is something we consider in the work as well. That's beautiful, yeah. Mm. I, like that. I just was reminded as you were rowing and hearing you talk that then I was watching the waves the and the movement of the yeah. water. Yeah. How did you two meet each other and when did you start to collaborate? I can't remember when, but we met in Brisbane at the Brisbane Powerhouse. Dan took a job there and I was living in Brisbane. In 2008, I moved to Brisbane and I worked uh, at the Brisbane Powerhouse as a producer. And I was 25 at the time. So I'd just come directly from London where I'd spent two and a half years and originally born in Melbourne. And so you arrive in Brisbane from London and it's a pretty different kind of place. <laughs> But I loved the work I was doing there. And the way that I met people was, again, through culture. I met them at work. I met them through shows. I met that community really, really... You know, it's funny how you can go from one place to another and feel very comfortable with people at different times. But also how every culture is different in every place. So I met Danielle because you were working on the Too High Festival, which was a kind of youth arts thing. I'm using my air quotes, youth arts. It's hey, like, I was definitely youth at the time. I know, but like I was 25 <laughs> and I was working there. And so, you know, like I, I'm a big believer in young people doing amazing things and professional quality things. So I, I love the youth arts sector. I'm a big advocate for it, but I'm also a big advocate for people being professionals at whatever age and, and not, not professionals as in business people, professionals as in high quality, amazing perspective, got good things to say, good things to share, you know, a, a low hierarchy, if you will. So anyway, I'm a 25-year-old, you're probably uh, 23 or something, and where I'm working there, you're also an usher at the venue, and I, I definitely have the view that the people who are ushers in box office have the best view of the whole place. I've been an usher for a decade, and so yeah, we just kind of worked there. That festival, you, you all put it together. There's still four or five, six people I'm in touch with out of that, and uh, over time, we, I guess, become colleagues in a different way, not just in the workplace, but start to understand that we've, we're interested in some of the same arts and culture stuff and gosh when but when did we first work together as well, creatives we kept in touch and then 
we were just good friends for a long time. You left Brisbane, we kept in touch and I would visit, we'd catch up when I would come to Melbourne, which was generally pretty regularly. And I was doing my masters in Melbourne. So I'd usually be in town a couple of times a year working on that. But I also was introduced to Claire's partner. Dan's partner, Claire. Sorry. <laughs> Claire's partner, Dan. <laughs> Dan's partner, Claire. And her artistic company that she's involved with, One Step at a Time Like This. And I'd experienced some of their works and heard a lot about them and was really keen to learn. It's often the best way through non-traditional kind of arts careers and practices you go and work with people who you really are inspired by and respect so I also went and spent some time in in Auckland and New Zealand learning one of their shows and kind of shadowing them so I felt like that was also a really pivotal moment too I guess in solidifying our friendship but yeah we talked about it for many many years and I think the time that it came together was for this project in Brisbane in 2018 so it took us a little while to get there but over those years we were just shaping it, I think. Yeah. Investing in it, shaping it, forming it, always coming up with ideas and then finally actioned it. So walking the streets with Danielle in Auckland, I was just a boyfriend there holding the handbags and moving things around and living the, the great life. My partner just riding her coattails and walking the streets with Danielle trying to find ice cream at 11 o'clock every night after she's had dinner because she just has a sweet tooth that cannot be denied. <laughs> nor, nor should it, might I add. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, just walking the streets, having gelati with you, talking about your projects, getting to know you. All those experiences of travelling are actually kind of crucial to our industry as well. So to bring it back to this project, travel can be really destructive, but hopefully you can tour as an artist and also be quite constructive or generous. You don't actually need to leave an edifice behind or a big structure. You can actually leave maybe a network behind, some people that know each other now that didn't beforehand, but, you know, live down the road from each other. That's kind of the construction that I'm interested in my art projects, that more social structures and social relationships as as form. And how did the concept of Here Here come about? So I had been invited to take part in an arts residency at the Inaugural Reservoir in Brisbane. And I'd spent some time out there, had pulled a bunch of ideas together and knew that I really wanted to collaborate on this particular work and I wanted to work with Dan for a long time. So I called up Dan and we had a, a chat about the project but my big selling point out of out of anything for this project was the site that we'd been invited to respond to. And the inaugural reservoir for me living in Brisbane for a couple of years had really become a salve. It had become a ritual to head out there a couple of times a week and go for a swim and watch the sunset. So it was a a real reflective process for me and a real wind down. As someone who grew up going to beaches and we'd go up to Marimbula every summer, I just love the ocean. And I often wonder why I'm living in central Victoria where it's so arid. And this reservoir is really the saving grace of this area. Absolutely. So you're living in Brisbane near the beach, but you're still going to a reservoir. Well, look, the beach from Brisbane is at least like 45 minutes to an hour. This reservoir was 15 to 20 minutes and I grew up by the beach. So that was actually a really tough move for me living in a really humid city where you'd go to the beach for a weekend, but you wouldn't do it for an afternoon quick swim. I eventually figured out that actually it really wasn't that far. And so I did jump in my car and drive to the beach. But but the res, which, you know, the inaugural reservoir, it, it's exactly the same thing. It became so important for, for so many reasons, like social connections and recreation. But yeah, also that connection to water. I think there's a physiological change when you dive into water and you swim. So that just became a really 
really important place for me living in Brisbane and actually kept me there longer than what I would have otherwise. So describing that to Dan, that was really what ended up, he was like, yep, you've you've got me. I think I even maybe sent a couple of photos or videos of the site, but I probably didn't need to. I just described it and Dan was like, I'm in, I'm in. You don't need to tell me anymore. It sounds great. It's almost like a holiday. So what, I'll come for a week, you know? And that's what we did. We had a week on site to really develop the idea and then roll out a pretty established development. But yeah. Can I just say artists are incredibly effective at what they do and they are so efficient actually so we got up there and we did we made the show in a week and we made a version of the show in a week we did we did an interview every day and we added to it so that at the end of that week we had how many four or five or six interviews five or six yeah yeah Yeah. so we would record then edit and then put it out on site the next day so if you came on day one you would get one interview if you came on day five you had five interviews wow yeah yeah it was it was full and hectic but it was great and we really tested ourselves and challenged ourselves it was but it was really satisfying to know at the end of that week that we could make a work and we could make a work that we were really excited by and proud of and in the process met with all of these incredible people and had all of these amazing connections to community that even as a local some of them I found during this process so it was really great yeah can I dispel a myth yes Brisbane is not near the beach. I know. <laughs> Pe- until you live there, you don't know that it's not on the beach, it's on a river, yeah. and a beautiful one at that. Maiwa is just gorgeous, and it has such power. But the water goes out into Kwandamooka country in Moreton Bay, and it's, it's still brown, and it's not the beautiful Queensland we think of. So you do have to go south to the Goldie or north to the Sunny, and then you get beautiful beaches. But yeah, it's river country. Yeah. yeah. That's really and there are beaches along the bays, which a lot of people who live there do do go to. But as somebody who grew up on the Gold Coast, I could justify the extra 15, 20 minutes it was to get me to my favourite beach spot in Coolangatta. Uh, to, to me, this, this delves into really interesting territory. And I think, you know, even as a white fella, someone could ask me, are you a saltwater person or a freshwater person? We know that First Nations culture, that's quite clearly in one country or another. And so I grew up in Wurundjeri country and swam in the Birrarung as a kid and just had all my like after school cheeky things, smoking cigarettes or whatever down by the river. Very lucky. But then my summers I was very lucky. I spent in a caravan until I was 18 on, on Nam on Port Phillip Bay. And so that's Boonwurrung country. And so, you know, I think I'm both fresh and salt water, but water is absolutely it in my life. If I'm not near the water, I'd struggle. It's interesting to me because I grew up in, in Melbourne and but every summer we'd go to the beach as I said and spend just a month or more just in the ocean beautiful south coast New South Wales and when I moved out here it took me a long time to understand and really start to love the freshwater so I can really comprehend that idea that you're either freshwater or saltwater and now I'd say I'm both but when I first moved here I was definitely saltwater did not get the freshwater I'm not a swimmer, I'm a floater. So I come out to the res and I float and I just look up at the trees. I look at the clouds, I look at the birds. But I feel like there's a really profound, I think you said it earlier, there's a real shift. It's, it's visceral and it's spiritual that happens when you really connect with water. So there's lots of ways to learn and sometimes that's information and reading a book or listening to the news and getting facts and figures. But then there's learning that is about experience and lots of research suggests that's actually the best way to learn. And so to stretch the pun, it's about immersion here you might be immersed in the water sure but you're immersed in the environment and that experiential learning it actually strengthens everything that you hear it locates it and I think the best result for us would be that 
if someone comes here in five years' time and brings a new mate who's introducing them to a place, they tell them everything that they know as if they were one of those speakers that they heard sharing their perspective on place. But if they mentioned that they came here and did a work here one time, that'd be really nice too. That's, <laughs> you know, that's hopefully not ego, but it hopefully shows that it was, it was valuable to somebody and that that's a construction. If, if we're talking about making something, it's making a memory, it's making a myth, not making an object. Yeah. Got a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever been out on the res here and been on the surface of the water like this before? What's it like for you to be out here seeing the res from this perspective? Right now? Yeah. I have actually been in a kayak on the water and I had my little dog who was terrified of water and she was on my lap the whole time and little claws were digging in. But it's so serene. I love it. It's very peaceful. But sitting on a boat and just paddling slowly around and having a, a wonderful conversation, I've not done that here before so it's definitely a new experience on that level we didn't get to do it in this version of here here but it is actually a part of the project that we've been lucky enough to kind of experiment with the first time at the inaugura reservoir we were out on kayaks and took out a an acoustic ecologist and dropped some hydrophones into the water so as we were having the conversation we could also be listening to the sounds in the water at the same time and our audience we're on the shore, so we're transmitting their they're radio and they were listening live, which was pretty special. And we did that again at Hodder, so in the Evandale Lake that's there. So took out two amazing artists, actually in a really beautiful hand, hand-built iron canoe. That Iron? Yeah. Made out of iron? Yeah, old like corrugated iron roof material. Oh, but oh. yeah, a really amazing First Nations artist there who built that canoe, Rick Rosa, and took us out on that. So, and with Danny Zavella, another sound artist as well. So it was a really beautiful conversation and similarly had dropped some hydrophones in. So we, we had moments of being able to hear what was underneath us and, and hear the stories that were floating on top of the water as well. So in this way, this is our version of that. And it's just for the, you know, right now it's just for the three of us and maybe if any of the fish below us and then maybe the duck that we passed before. It's really special to have this experience at each of the places we've worked as well. So that was Dan Coop and Danielle Constance talking about their sound art piece, Here, Here. The participatory piece took place at Expedition Pass Reservoir, or the Res, during the Castlemaine State Festival earlier this year. It was made in association with Punctum, a local live arts organisation which Dan was talking about earlier. Other people involved in the creation of this piece who were not present for this interview are Matt Cornell, with composition and music by James Marples. The interviews that featured in the piece were with special guests Uncle Rick Nelson, Murray Jones, Damien Kelly and The Swimmer. We heard a little snippet of the one with Uncle Rick right at the start of this episode. Links to the things discussed can be found in the episode description at saltgrasspodcast.com. Find out more about Dan and Danielle and other Hear Hear projects that they have done in other places. You can follow Saltgrass on Facebook and Instagram, and please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. The program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name's Ali Hanley. Thanks for listening. Salt, 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 sal
grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green at saltgrasspodcast.com. Oh, lovely. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, yeah, guys. thank you. Your show. And I'm really glad we waited in the end because that was yeah. really nice. Yeah. It was a really nice way really to do it. I'm really glad we waited. Waited. Waited.